Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. and welcome to Temporary Admission. Over the last few episodes, we've been joined by curators, museum directors, artists, and pretty much everything in between. But one thing we haven't touched on is the view of a collector. And so this week, we're joined by one of Britain's best-known art collectors, Frank Cohen. Frank, it's really great to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, thank you. It feels like we've been trying to set this conversation up for so long, and I know I mentioned that in fact you're one of the Britain's best-known art collectors, but you've also been referred to as the Saatchi of the North throughout the last 20 years, so I'm pretty sure that most people listening to our podcast, especially if they are within the art world itself, will will definitely have heard of you. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and how it was you first started collecting art? Well, basically, I was always a collector ever since I was a kid. I, I always had this thing about collecting things. When I was a kid, I think seven or eight years of age, I used to collect cigarette cards. These were in cigarettes. (laughs) And you used to get footballers and cricketers. And all the kids, if they got a set of 50, you know, they'd won. And usually you can't buy cigarettes at that age, but you used to, everyone smoked in those days. And I think all my aunties and uncles used to give me cigarette cards, you know. So I built up, you know, albums of cricketers and footballers and rugby players, and it was all a bit sort of crude, you know, I mean. And then um, I actually, when I was about 17 or 18 years of age, I went into a cinema in Manchester called the Odeon Cinema on Oxford Street. And I give them, I can't remember, you know, how much it was in those days, one eleven. I give them a, a, a half a crown, an old half a crown, yeah? Within the change, there was a, a penny that I've never seen before. It's like a Victorian penny. So I thought, well, what the hell? How is this? I've never seen it. And down the road, there was a, you know, a guy that deals in coins, you know, and they had had them uh, all over Manchester. I think they're called a a pneumacist or something. And um, I went in and um, and he says to me, oh, I'll I'll have that. He said, I'll give you half a crown. (laughs) So he gave me half a crown for a penny. And then... (laughs) I thought to myself, well, this must be a great game. So I started collecting coins. And I really had a massive big collection. It would be today world class. I mean, I collected pattern coins, coins that were never put into circulation. I mean, they used to have designers making coins every time there was a new king or a queen or a coronation or a jubilee, and they always um, issued the Royal Mint um, another coin, you know? 
And then when decimal coinage came in, I think in 1972 or something it was, and then they changed all the kings and queens. And then um, it was all two Ps, one Ps, five P, you know. And to be honest with you, the coins become very, very collectible. And the ones I had and the ones I own, the designer would go to the Royal Mint with six patterns, the coin, and then only one would go into circulation for people, you know, for everyone in the, in, in the world, you know, or in England. So I used to collect the ones that never went into circulation, and they were very, very rare. I mean, I think that they always minted about six sets of them, or six of them. I think the Queen had one, the Victorian Albert Museum had another. There's always one or two that escaped and got out, and I collected those things. And I built up an amazing collection. And, you know, late 30s, um, I needed the money, like I always do. And uh, <laughs> I had to sell all the coins. And, oh, I'm going to tell you something, I was very upset about it. Because, you know, they're irreplaceable today. And when I first um, started to go out with my wife, and my wife's father was an art dealer. So he had a place in Manchester, he was called Jack Garson. And he sold objet d'art and he sold furniture and he was a, um, a frame maker and he had a glass factory. It was all, you know, it was like a tradesman, old fashioned tradesman. When I used to go out and collect my, my, my wife now, <laughs> you know, I, he always used to sell me a Lowry print for 15 quid. So <laughs> I had hundreds of these Lowry prints. Every time I went there, he, he was a very good salesman. And, uh, and uh, he sold me these prints. So I said to myself, I don't want these prints anymore. I want to buy an original. I found a woman called Mrs. Bridgman, Wendy Bridgman. I don't know if she's still living or not, but I doubt it very much. And she was very friendly with Lowry. And uh, she sold me my first painting, which was a postcard size Lowry called My Family. And it was about 1,100 quid. And that started me, you know, um, going off collecting. And I, um, I never stopped from that day since. I think it's quite nice, though, that the first artwork that you started buying, besides obviously, you know, having that story about you know, your wife's uh, dad actually selling you those those artworks. But the first real artwork you, or original artwork, I should say, that you were collected is a Lowry because Lowry's obviously got that affiliation with, you know, Northern artwork and being from the North. And you have as well. And it feels like that's kind of quite poignant as opposed to, you know, just investing in contemporary art from across the world. You kind of started locally with a local artist, which I think is quite nice. Would you say that was intentional or is that kind of just a happy accident? Well, you see, um, you know, everyone, all the Londoners, unfortunately, were snobby and they thought Lowry was like, oh, well, was a northern artist and he does mill scenes. But what they didn't know, and, and you know, it's now proven, he was a fantastic artist. He went to art school, he got, you know, he got degrees in art and he was a painter. He wasn't a naive painter, he was a very good painter. And you should, as you can see today, I know for a fact that privately, some Lowry's have changed hands for over 10 million. So, of course, in those days, what did I know? I knew Manchester, I knew Lowry, 
and of course I bought a few libraries. I mean, and a lot of libraries I've had through my hands over the years. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't tell you how many, you know, because I used to buy them and sell them, and I needed the money. And uh, I think there was one that brought a um, um, British dealer, a modern British dealer called Jeffrey Green. And he used to sell things like Elizabeth Frink, David Bomberg, William Roberts. So like, I got to know a few other modern Brit artists of, of that period. And I started to buy them. And have you still got that first Larry that you ever bought? Because quite a few collectors seem to keep the first artwork that they purchased. Well, no, I haven't. But I've got other Larrys now, which is a bit better than the family. But I, I, um, I think it was late seventies. I went to London, and I walked into a gallery, um, Waddington Gallery on Cork Street, and I walked down the stairs and I saw this um, heart by Jim Dine. And oh, I liked it, you know. So on the stairs coming up was Leslie Waddington, who was an old fashioned great, great dealer. He, unfortunately, he died a few years ago, Leslie. And uh, if, I think if it wasn't for Leslie, I never ever collected art in my life. Really? He was, he was so, he was a great guy. He, he, I walked down the stairs, I looked at that gym guy, and I said, How much is it? He said, It's 1700 quid. So I said to him, well, um, at the time, he actually did handle Elizabeth Frink. And I had a, an Elizabeth Frink bird about, you know, 12 inches high. So I said, well, I've got this bird, Elizabeth Frink. Can we do a deal? He says, well, you know, I'll give you 500 quid. And I said, right, deal done. I says, but there's only one problem. I haven't got the balance to pay you. He said to me, don't worry about that. He said to me, Pay me when you've got it. And he delivered it to my house. And I paid him over about 18 months, two years. And that was a relationship that went on for the next, till he died. Really? What else was it that you bought from Leslie? I bought so many things off him. And and I I paid him whenever, you know, but most of the time, (laughs) he was a bit of a wheeler dealer as well, because some of the things he sold me, he knew were very, very valuable. And I always needed money at the time. I, I am built the business like, you know, I was just starting. And he, uh, he used to ring me back and said, will you take a profit on the, that Miro five grand or, or that du buffet? And I said, yeah, yeah, you know. So it, it, was, it was a really dealing situation. Like, and I've kept a lot of things from him, you know, over the years. I mean, I don't know too much about building up a huge art collection like yours, but it certainly doesn't feel like people build up necessarily all of those really long-standing relationships in the industry anymore. I mean, don't get me wrong, you you do build up your kind of base of connections, but, you know, dealing with someone for a lifetime feels maybe quite rare now, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really happen in the army. I mean, I don't remember, I remember one thing, London is not Manchester. And in those days, it was only sort of, you know, high hierarchy that collected art. I mean, no one, you know, I mean, yeah. was, you know, lawyers and barristers and, and, and judges and, 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 you know, what, what I mean, it, it was sort of a, um, it, it was, you know, when I walked in, you know, an old market trader 
were, were selling warfare off in the back of a van. I was an unusual character for these art dealers in London, you know. Well, I got on with them all uh, at the end. And at the end of the day, you've got to understand one thing. They might have a suit and a tie and drink great wine, but they're only traders. That's, at the end of the day, that all they are is traders. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. But how did you find actually getting into the art scene? Because I think that's something that's really interesting as well, because you've now obviously got to a point where you have got your huge art collection and, you know, you walk into a lot of galleries. I think people would actually already know who you are, but it wasn't always like that. And obviously, you know, knowing what's good as well is, I can imagine, quite hard because if you're new to buying art and building your collection and people actually don't already know who you are so you're not even on the approved list i can't imagine that process being you know that easy Get, yeah. getting into a contemporary art scene is very very difficult um you know i got through some you know martin summers at the third gallery i got james beck all very very good friends of mine to this day and i, I started to deal with every single dealer in london at that moment in time, yeah. I'll tell you the best one of them and the next best one of them. I know, you, you, you know, I mean, uh, in terms of monetary value, which is, is it, I mean, they are some that are fantastic that are not as commercial as some of them and, and they're wonderful. Like, you know, the, 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 the still lives that we did of the grey sea and, and a mountain with a little church on the top. And, and so you get, you develop an eye and you, you begin, begin to look what you like. And, and to be honest with you, um, it's very difficult for someone trying to build a collection today because I would think that 95% of the art market is uh, contemporary. Yeah, and some of the prices that can be charged now for contemporary works of art are through the roof, and it does price a lot of people out. Well, it's ridiculously priced. I mean, you know, now it's worldwide. Let's be honest, you know, the Chinese, uh, the Koreans, uh, I mean, every country in the world, no matter where, it's global. And it's all these young kids and these tech boys in Silicon Valley and, you know, they've made a lot of money at a very young age. They need to spend the money and they believe that the next thing is buying and selling, you know, stocks and shares and oil and, and gold and silver and commodities is art, really. And they've made, unfortunately or fortunately, they've made art into a commodity. And is art a commodity for you? Because you've got a lot of works now. It can't be necessarily that you see every single work in your collection or, you know, that you're you're able to actually enjoy all of your collections. So to some extent, surely they have to be commoditized even within your own kind of portfolio. I only buy any, something I like. And to be honest with you, I've still got my Lowry's and I've still got, you know, all my uh, mod British... Howard Hodgkin and David Bombergs and Edward Burroughs. And I mean, I, I, you know, even to this day, I will still buy these things, you know. But that market is not as uh, lucrative anymore, you know, um, in terms of monetary value. So, you know, <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say, but these kids are, are buying this contemporary art and and they're paying like five thousand and ten thousand dollars, and then they go in auction like 
in, in Hong Kong or in uh, London or whatever, and then they fetch a million dollars uh, overnight. I mean, like, it's, it, 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 it's hard to believe, really. And yeah. the dealers, the dealers that deal in those few artists that actually make it in that big time, and these artists are not even 25 years of age. You know, it's like a footballer playing for Manchester City or Manchester United who are 19 years of age getting half a million quid a week, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. I think I was looking at one artist the other day that pre-pandemic was selling works for like 20 grand. And then actually post-pandemic, they're now selling artworks for, you know, one million pound plus. And, you know, it's hard to think that many other careers would give you that kind of huge step up in effectively your salary but obviously there's probably gonna be examples that are way larger than that but those artworks i mean they just feel impossible to get hold of even me or anyone wants to buy one of these you, you never get one from the galleries have their own clients and they have a show of it, or an artist yeah and they just they pick up the phone and they, and they sell them uh, that show out within 30 seconds to the people they want to sell it to. If people give it, give that artist away to a museum, so they'll sell two of them to them, right? And then they'll keep on themselves and they'll get and they'll, they'll give another one to a museum. So that is is not a, it's not a massive part of the market, don't get me wrong. But it's a money side of the market, which is really what a lot of these kids are into. It's very difficult, you know. I, you know, I, I, I still collect modern British, and I, I, I look all the time. You know, you know, I, I bought two Alfred Daniels. I mean, probably you, know, you would never heard of him, but he was a great, you know, modern British painter in fifties and sixties. But you know. Some of the work are wonderful and they're not expensive. And I just like to look at them and I like to see them, you know. Mm. And, um, if you go into the Tate Gallery, let's be honest, they have a mod Brit room with some early modern British art. And, and the fact is fabulous. And it's all vogue. It's in vogue, you know. I mean, all what I collect is not in vogue anymore. And actually, I think this is interesting because we've talked quite regularly with the artists we've spoken with and curators and as I said, museum directors about, you know, the artworks that they're showing or producing. But as a collector, what what's your view on what's on Vogue right now or what artists should we be looking out for? There's a new guy that's just come out that's been painting for years and years and years and all of a sudden someone, some dealer in New York spotted this uh, artist and Bloody hell, this artist is fantastic. He's very figurative. And it could be it could be like modern British in the early days, you know, like William Roberts. He's called Ernie Barnes. Oh. You know, this is hard to believe. The, he, um, last year, a few, a few months ago, actually, someone put an Ernie Barnes in auction, Christie's, yeah? The estimate was 100 to $150,000, yeah? It fetched $15.5 million. Wow, you'd be pretty pleased if you put that up for auction, wouldn't you? Well, what happened was, it was a cover of um, a Marvin Gaye album. There was some very, <laughs> some guy from Texas or somewhere sat in the auction room, very rich, 
and says, I've waited all my life to buy that painting. And he says, I will have sat there 24 hours and I will have gone on to $100 million to collect it, to buy it. <laughs> and he, he was, he, uh, and he had a competition as well. There was three or four people bidding against it. Anyhow, that set this particular artist off on a, on a different level of, of, I mean, the people that used to collect um, this artist were all American producers, directors from Los Angeles in the 60s and 70s. And this, they, they, now, now Ernie Bond, Christie's did a deal for about a dozen of them with this dealer that found them, this young kid. And um, then they all now fetch a million, a million and a half dollars. I mean, don't forget, these are things that you could have bought two years ago for $10,000. Wow, that's amazing. And it's slightly painful that I didn't have the foresight or the luck to buy one of those pre that auction or even post. Now, definitely not an option. But oh, that does just show, doesn't it? You know, right place, right time. It's pretty amazing. What's a moment more amazing? It was a fantastic painter. That yeah, that is, that's true as well. But one thing we haven't touched on, actually, and I think it would be really quite interesting to find out more about is actually your collection more so because how many works have you now got in your collection i've got i used to have three thousand <laughs> i mean i've got rid of a lot of them and i've given them away and i've given them to museums and i mean i've bought some mm. artists and I've disappeared off the face of the earth you know and I, I just, you know, there's no point in putting them in auction. The, the auction houses won't take them. And so you just give them to galleries and things like that, or friends, obviously, you know. Yeah, no, I, I do. And I think one thing that you mentioned then is just, you know, sharing your collection with your friends and your family. And everything that I've seen from your collection is that it feels like you and your wife have really built your collection together over time as well. How has that process worked for you as a couple? Do you... Do you have the same taste in artworks or does that kind of differ and mean that you kind of have to buy different artworks and put them in different rooms across the house? Like, how has that worked? Nothing's allowed in my house without my wife, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've, I've brought a lot of things over, she's thrown them out. I, I think personally, she's got a better eye than me. I'm not being funny, but I, that, I, I always want everything over that. And everything that's in the house is something that we do jointly together, you know. Well, that's probably the best way for it to be. But you also, I mean, it's a few years ago now, but I think it's definitely worth touching on because it, it just was so interesting and quite revolutionary at the time is you showed all your artworks in Fort Mason, didn't you? And it was quite a big, I think it was three-year initiative where you had kind of your collection actually rotating round Fortnum Mason, so many of our listeners in, in London will know what Fortnum Mason is, but it's uh, a very nice grocery store that serves groceries to the Queen, in fact, and um, it's very, you know, famous within London and, and internationally. But to show your art collection within Fortnum Mason is is pretty groundbreaking and was, like I say, very new at the time. That was it's very interesting, that because the guy that ran um, Fortnum and Masons at the time, this guy called Ewan Ventus, he was the chief executive officer. Um, I met him at a birthday party in the East End of London. And he, he uh, uh, my mutual friend and author, 
who was called Howard Jacobson, and sat me next to him. And um, he, he knew him very well. Evidently, they've got the same birthday, but um, about 40 years apart, you know. So <laughs> Howard invited me to the, uh, the venue for, for, the, for the birthday party. And you invented, said, how about doing a show in Fort and the Mace with art? I said, I thought he was mad, actually. It, it went, I said, where am I going to put art in Fort and the Mason? You've got all tea and chocolates and biscuits and, and, and cafeterias and, and then you've got clerk. Anyhow, he said, well, you, we'll, we'll, we'll put it all over the store and I'll give you three windows in Piccadilly. I thought, bloody hell. I mean, anyhow, we, we got it together and we did it for three years on the run. We called it F and F. Fortnum's and Frank. And I had a fantastic, wonderful uh, modern British collection on one show. And they were, they were so successful, he, he made a big party on the nights of the opening. I made a speech. Everyone came who was anyone, all because he knew a lot of them. Um, he knew a lot of people. He was very well connected. So he knew all the actors and actresses and everything. And um, they all came and <laughs> it was great. It sounds really cool. And I'm just sorry I didn't live in London at the time. Otherwise, I would have loved to have seen it. But have you got many of the artworks that you showed at Fortnum's? Or you know, what artworks, in fact, do you have kind of on your walls right now? I've got Lara's on the wall. I've got, uh, I've got, fantastic, I've got some Alfred Daniels. I've got Damien Hurst, who's a friend of mine. And I've, got, I mean, I've always had a couple of Damien's for years and years and years. I've got Edward Burrow. I've got an amazing English artist who I love. Um, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant guy uh, called Stuart Pearson, right? He, he's, he's, um, he does a lot of portraits as well. And mm. he's, he's always on television doing portraits on that portrait show, show. But he's actually a very, very, very interesting artist. I think he's one of the best uh, artists that's working in England at the moment. Um, his work is unbelievable. I've got, um, I mean, you know, I, I was friendly with a guy that died called um, Norman Blamey. And Norman was an RA and he always did church scenes. Um, would you believe, like priests in, in the altar box? And, and I had a big collection of them as well. I mean, in the style of Stanley Spencer, elongated figures, you know. And then I've also got Jack Pearson. I've also got Dubuffet. I've got uh, Robert Longer. I've got Cause. I love Cause, you know. Yeah, I've got one, two, three, half a dozen. I've got Alan Davy. I've got a mixed bag of trips, you see. Probably the best way to be, though, if you buy what you like and you like different things, there's no point sticking to just one form of art, is there? But... One thing we also haven't touched on is the rest of your family as well. And I know that um, your family is actually now a qu quite an art-focused family, which is obviously your, your passion for collecting art has you know, followed through into what your children are doing now. Can you share a little bit more about that and what it is that they're both up to? You know, I've got a daughter, Georgina Cohen. Uh, Georgina has actually uh, worked for Gagosian. She's still in the art world because, you know, my wallpaper and paint business, um, that I, you know, that I ran the DIY business. I sold the business in 1997, which is a long time ago. So the kids never had any business to go into. 
not that they would, would have gone into that wallpaper and pay. Mm-hmm. And my son, um, Adam Cohen, he's got a, he, he, um, he's got um, a gallery in, in New York called, it's called A Hug from the Art World. Oh, wow. I didn't know he had a gallery in New York. Well, A Hug from the Art World is a, it's a, it's a very interesting concept because he sells um, artists that he knows and young artists and he opened it this year and he has got a tremendous eye and he's, you know, he, he understands what's going on in the art world. And, and don't forget being in New York, it's a different world than it is being in London. So, you know, he, he knows, he's very friendly with the artists as well. And some of these guys have never had a show. So he gives them a show and he'll put them on you know, $3,000, which is very affordable, and he'll sell out of every show. What a good idea. I said to him, are you going to sign these guys up? Are you going to keep them? Uh, no, he doesn't want any contracts with any artists. All he wants to do is do a show, and if they're happy with him, they'll do another show with him. It's quite a refreshing way to look at it, you know. It's not going to get complicated with, um, with contracts, with artists, because, I mean, some of the galleries have been taken to court by artists and and then the galleries have taken the artists to court and and you know all this sort of yeah i've heard you know um that a lot of the dealers no, no mention i'm not going to mention the name that give golden hellos to some of the artists and leave the uh, original dealer that we were with they offered yeah. 25 million dollars 50 million dollars you know what i mean and it's like tempting for an artist to leave uh, someone who's looked after them for 20 years, you know. Yeah, when you've got that sort of money dangled in front of you, it certainly makes it very hard, I can imagine. But honestly, look, thanks, Frank, for taking the time to chat with us, because I know we've been trying to set this up for a while. And as a collector, sometimes, you know, you don't always want to speak about the works that you collect or, you know, your private life. So we really do appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. I think it's been hopefully really interesting for everyone that has listened in and I myself definitely want to come and have a look at your art collection in the not too distant future but thanks again for taking the time really enjoyed it well thank you very much no problem well that should just about conclude us for the latest episode of temporary admission if you've liked today's episode make sure to hit like subscribe or follow whichever is the right one on the podcast platform that you listen on And make sure to tune in next week where we'll be chatting with a very famous members club. It's a little bit different, but hopefully it will all make sense when you listen into the next episode. Until then, stay safe. Speak soon. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.